0: This morning, we're going to be picking up in John chapter 10. So our reading for the week, coming till Wednesday night for our Bible study, is John chapter 6 through 10. John 6 through 10. So we are going to take most of our study this morning from John chapter 10. And as we think about what it takes for us to believe and to consider the works of Jesus and what effect that has on our life. that's something very, very serious for us to be considering. Before we do that, I do want to pray, so please pray with me. Our Heavenly Father, you are holy and we revere you. We thank you for your words that we have here in the Scriptures. We thank you that we can read the words of Christ this morning and learn from him. We ask that you bless us now to draw closer to you. And Father, we ask that you help us, that our hearts and our minds are in the right place to take these words to heart. Father, help us to think this morning of how we can share this truth with others, uh, how we can spread the gospel. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So as you're reading through the Gospel of John, we looked at last week, the Gospel of John is written so that those who read it may believe. It's filled with evidence of why someone should believe in Christ. One thing we've also observed within the text is that Jesus is talking to those, for the most part, who already believe in God, and most of them are expecting Christ to come, looking forward to the kingdom. But here, Christ is proclaiming, and He's not simply glorifying Himself, but He is glorifying God who sent Him, and teaching the message, and constantly reminding them, and telling those He speaks to, that He is the Christ. He gives works, He gives teachings, He gives those things that are necessary. And John seven seventeen, Jesus says there that if anyone who wants to do the will of God, He'll hear what I'm teaching and what I'm saying and know whether it is true. And that is true. That that is absolutely right. When you start thinking about that, that if I want to do God's will and I want to be closer to God, and if I'm looking forward to eternal life, to a blissful life, that only God can give me, I've got to believe that Want to do His will and then consider the words of Christ, consider His works. I want you to think about this as well. Can you listen and consider others when you do not trust them you see this in politics you got one side and going at the other and they're both talking at each other and the other side's not listening neither side is listening maybe you've been in an argument like that before not that anybody in here has ever been in an argument before But if you've ever been in an argument where you keep trying to say something and the other person's not hearing you you might not be really listening to them either There's something happening there. And a lot of times it's that we don't trust or we don't respect. or It could be this simple that I do trust them, but I think that they're mistaken. But when we look at what's going on here in the Gospel of John, that's not exactly what is happening. And I think it's very important that we get to the point of trusting God and trusting in Christ because when we do that, we're going to be listening to His words and applying His teaching. The idea of the Greek word pastis, which is the word for faith, in the Bible that when I have faith in my Creator when I have faith in Christ I'm going to be listening to Him and doing what He says it's not simply like some people say today well I believe Jesus that He was a good man that He preached some good things and God sent Him and I believe that so therefore I'm going to be saved that kind of thinking that goes along today that it's not really serious where it's saying oh I believe in Jesus but I don't believe in it enough to keep listening to what He has to say to me And Christ comes across that. He has to address that here. So we get into John chapter 10. We look at his audience as he is teaching here to many of those who don't believe in him. I'm going to go on and give you some observations I see right here in John 10, 24 to 30. You can go on and open there and look at it. This will be an exposition. We're going to read from it in a moment. But here are the things that stand out to me. Many refuse to listen to Jesus because they refuse to see the signs that Jesus did. They won't recognize them. They don't see His works. And specifically, I want to emphasize this morning on the subject of miracles. The signs that Christ has done. If I accept them and believe in the miracles, then I'm going to believe in Christ and I'm going to listen to Him. And Jesus says to those listening to Him, He says, look at the signs. I'm doing these things, but you don't believe them. You don't accept them. Part of our Scripture reading this morning has to tie, ties into that. He says, if you would just believe in the works. Even though you don't believe in me, if you believe the works, then you would believe in me. Just consider it. Consider the evidence. Look at the truth. Don't be closed-minded. Furthermore, they dismissed that God was testifying, uh, Jesus, testifying that Jesus is the Christ. They were putting that aside. They, wouldn't even want, they didn't want to consider it. Uh, the person who refuses to listen to Christ cannot follow Him. Well, that makes sense, doesn't it? So if I don't recognize who Christ is and what he's doing, then I can't listen to his words. And if I can't listen to his words, how can I even follow him? And Jesus, the way he says things in John is so convicting, very eye-opening. It's the reason why for many people it's their most favorite book. And it's the reason why when someone says, and they just became a Christian, where should I start reading? I say, well, you need to read the Gospel of John. Go to John. Of course, next I'm going to take them to the book of Acts. we want to look at the church and the details of the church. But I want them to see the gospel. I want to look at Christ and who he is and what he did. And we also see here that Jesus says he gives eternal life to his followers. So if I don't see the signs and what Christ does, then I'm not going to listen to his words and I'm not listening to his words. I'm not going to follow him. And if I'm not following him, I'm not going to have eternal life. My salvation depends on me constantly listening to Christ, reading his words. Getting into the Word until the Word gets into me. Studying what, what Christ has to say. And so that's why it's so important that we are constantly reading. Whether you're following along with our readings or not, I encourage you to do that. Open your Bible and try to read five chapters a week. That's one chapter uh, a night when, when you're you know, not at church. Or I think you can do five, uh, one chapter for five uh, days of the week. It works out It's pretty simple, actually. And if you want to read through the whole Bible in a year, you're usually reading about 23 plus chapters a week. And for many, that can be very difficult to finish. And then Christ says this. He says, he and the Father are one. And if you read through the Gospel of John, you see how irritated and how annoyed some of these individuals are, these Jews who reject Jesus because they keep saying, you are claiming and you make yourself equal with God. And Jesus doesn't deny that. He is one with the Father. Let's read here, and maybe you have some other observations from the text, and maybe you want to look at some of the Scriptures around it. I encourage you to do that. John chapter 10, beginning in verse 24. It says, So the Jews gathered around him and said to them, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. And and notice how Jesus responds right here. Jesus answered, I told you, and you do not believe. I and the Father are one. As as I look at some of the things Christ says and how he speaks to them, I often wish that if I could just speak a little bit like the way Jesus spoke, what effect that would have on others. And I'm always in admiration of this, his words and how convicting they are. And so they want to know, plainly, tell us that you're the Christ. He's done that. He's made it absolutely clear. But sometimes just spelling it out for people and just saying it plainly is not enough. So they won't listen. And we, uh, we might want to consider ourselves, you won't listen to God's Word until you trust in His works. Until you recognize what He's done. When you look at creation and you stand in all of it and you think, certainly there must be a Creator. Christ and His life and His example and the things that He did. Certainly, He accomplished those things and did those things. What can I do without Him? What is life without God and without Jesus? It's also true that critical historians, they recognize that Jesus made certain claims. One of the claims was not only that He claimed to be the Son of Man and that He did claim to be the Christ and the Messiah, but Jesus claimed and defended the fact that He did miracles. And I say critical historians, I mean those who are skeptical, those who are unbelievers. They're critical of these things. And they say, okay, Jesus claimed that he did miracles. In fact, a lot of them will say, well, we think he did miracles. Now, how he did it is another discussion. Because when they're unbelievers, they have other ways of rationalizing it. But they recognize that he claimed this. What do you do with that? And, and the question comes up, and I'll bring it up again later, is that, christ is claiming to do miracles and he claims to be the son of god so is he as c.s lewis once put it he says jesus is either a liar a lunatic or lord and some would say well wait a minute there's a fourth option he's a legend that's what the critics would say but there's some things that are missing here this is not legendary that he claims to be the son of god and he claims to do miracles so either he's a liar or lunatic or he's lord And nobody wants to draw the line there because when you don't answer that, you're admitting that you kind of know, yes, he's definitely the Lord, but I don't want to confess to it. And that's what many unbelievers do. And I think that's what is exactly happening here. I want to look at this. I want to look at the nature of the miracles and the signs that, that Jesus did. And first of all, I like to give a little background here historically. In the ancient classical world, and this is from the InterVarsity Press Biblical Background Commentary, the academic commentary. It comments this, that ancient people did not simply believe in superstition. In fact, in the Greco-Roman world, a lot of them hated the idea of resurrection. They would say, oh, it didn't happen. That, that didn't occur. And a lot of people today kind of think, well, they're, people in ancient times, they're so dumb. They don't believe anything. They're gullible. They're foolish. And that's the way people want to treat scriptures and people that lived in that time. But in the ancient classical world, people did do illusions. But you know why they did it? They did it for pay. They did it in, in represent, representation of demonstration of power on behalf of their God or themselves to have power over others. That's, you, that's how it worked. That's how it went down the, down the line. But when Christ did these things, it was, it was not like that, was it? When you look at Jesus in the Bible... You don't see him doing things to demonstrate power over others or to do it for pay. We also see this. The ancient people, they did illusions, those who who did these things and claimed to do this, because you can look up even the book of Acts. You have the man Elamis, You have Simon the sorcerer. Remember them? Who did it for power, for influence, for money. Even there, we see it in the book of Acts. But ancient people did illusions also in ceremonies and in rituals. Christ doesn't do that. He does it with compassion, I want you to look at the notion, that the, the quality of which Christ did these things. Look right here, Matthew chapter 9, and verse 36. It says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Another text says that he saw them and he had a compassion on them, so he taught them. Or I would really like to emphasize Matthew 14, 14. It's on the screen, Matthew 14, 14. It says, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them and healed their sickness. He healed their sick. Another thing that comes up with this is if we're going to believe the works of Christ, I want to have every reason. I I like to accumulate as much as I can from the Scriptures that help me to increase my faith and to put my hope in Jesus Christ. So I ask the question, why did the crowds follow Jesus of Nazareth? And again, the historians recognize well, the only reason crowds would do this is because they believe they're actually getting something from Him. Because there were other men at the time who claimed to be Christ, other men who claimed to be Messiah, but they didn't have these crowds following them. Why? As we see throughout the Bible, that the reason the crowds followed Him is because He was doing works. He was doing amazing things. Here are some reasons that we should definitely believe in the miracles, believe in the works of Christ so that we'll listen to His words, so that we'll follow Him, so that we will have eternal life and trust in Him. And, uh, and again, going back to John 10, this is essential and necessary for us as Christians to be thinking about. Christ taught those. Believe the works that I'm doing. So number one here, A, crowds follow Jesus because of His miracles. Why else would they follow Him? B, Jesus defended doing miraculous signs throughout the text. So the historian might come to the Bible and say, why should I trust the Bible? But most critical historians will say, okay, we take Mark. We give it priority. And so you'll see Mark being referenced here the most, or Matthew with Luke, because when you link those two together, they'll say, okay, we'll we'll take that as evidence. And so they look at this and say, okay, Jesus defended doing miraculous signs. And I believe looking at these three right here is the strongest case but there are other reasons you may come up with of why we certainly want to believe that Christ did miracles. It's recorded. It's in the Scriptures, of course. So Jesus defended doing miracles. We also see this, that when Jesus' opponents attacked Him about doing miracles, they didn't deny that He did anything. What did they do? They said, Oh, you're doing it by some other power. You're doing it by Beelzebub. You're doing it by another source. So they're not denying that He's doing it. So the crowds followed Jesus. He defended doing miracles. He claimed to do it. The opponents... Uh, opposed him, but not because he was doing it, but how he was doing it, or what the source was. Other things to add to this. After Christ died, he rose from the dead, various people saw him resurrected, and that started the church. The church could not start without that message and belief in the resurrection. And it wouldn't begin unless there were people, eyewitnesses, who said we ate with Jesus, we drank with him, we spent time with him, we heard him when he rose from the dead we see this. I think this is probably the most obvious one. A lot of us would say, well, I believe in the miracles because the Bible says it. And I'm, because the Bible says it, therefore I believe it. I want to be very careful with that thinking, though. Um, you might see a little bit of flaw in that um, in the sense of trying to support one thing with the other and then supporting that with the other. I'm not putting down the Bible at all. Of course, the Bible is God's word. But it stands on the evidence and it stands on the miracles and the works of who Christ is and who Jesus is. And therefore, we believe the scriptures. And I think that's something to think about. Why do I believe the Bible? And why do I believe in Christ? How can I defend that and share it with others? So the Gospels, their accounts as eyewitnesses. And I remember taking time and going through and cross-examining the Gospels. And as some have said, oh, I think there's contradictions in them. And I I came with all honesty doing that. I find no contradiction within the Gospels. They stand up. They're a testimony of God's Word, and there are others throughout history who have been challenged to do that, and when they did it, they converted themselves. Another thing here is pre-existing Scriptures. The the Scriptures that existed before in the Old Testament, those things that have been written down that said the Messiah is going to come, well, they describe the Messianic age, and they say when the Messiah comes, the Christ is going to come. He's going to do miracles. He's going to do miraculous healings. Even Christ, when we look in Luke chapter 4, read that scripture in the synagogue. And then I would add to this, the apostles noted while preaching, when they went out telling other people the gospel, they said, you know of Jesus. Even Peter did this when he talked to Cornelius. He said, you know Jesus because you heard about him and all the wonderful things he was doing. You heard the reports of the miracles that had gone throughout all the land. Well, you can't go out preaching that way unless it was true, unless people did hear that, unless people were healed, unless amazing things were happening. And so as we look here, you have a whole lot of evidence, a lot of reasons. I think undeniable reasons to believe Christ did these works, to believe in his words, and therefore to believe and follow him and to follow the scriptures, to follow the Bible. And I think, again, that question comes up, was Jesus a liar, a lunatic, or Lord? You know, I think about these things and you might be thinking, Scott, you don't have to convince me of this. But I don't want you to think about it in that way. I want you to think about it in the sense of what can I take from how Jesus preached how He showed Himself to be the Christ by His works? How am I going to take that today and share that with someone else? How am I going to take this what I'm reading in the Gospels and share it with others? If Jesus preached in that way. If he proclaimed His works. We should too. We should say, look at the works of Christ. Look at His miracles. Do you believe? Was He a liar, a lunatic, or Lord? He is Lord. From our scripture reading this morning, I want you to look at this again. John 10, 37 to 38. Listen to what Jesus says. He says, if I'm not doing the works of my father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works. That you may know and understand that the father is in me and I am in the father. How am I supposed to know and understand what Christ is saying? You're not going to be willing to do that unless you believe that he has authority, that he is sent from God. And Jesus says here again, believe in my works. When people recognize Christ's works, then they listen to his words. And you've heard the notion before of, you know, people don't care about what you know until they know how much you care. And that very much applies with Christ in this sense that we see how much he cares. We see his works. And therefore we want to know what He is telling us, what his instructions are for our life, guides us, and instructs us, and, and teaches us in the way to which we are to live. Listen to this again, John 10. This is from the first reading at the very beginning. He says, "My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand." Brethren, that's our hope. That's the encouragement. That's the end result of me believing in Christ and following Him. He gives me eternal life, and that's what I I hope in. There are other scriptures, and I like the description of Peter in 1 Peter 3 and verse 15. He talks about being under persecution, and he says, be ready always to give a defense of what? The hope that is within you we have this morning, as we looked at these scriptures, a defense of the hope. I was thinking this week, I was looking over title, and a lot of times you see in, in defending the, the faith or evidences, it's always defending the faith. And I, I started reflecting on that. Why isn't it ever saying defending the hope? Because that's what 1 Peter 3, 15 says, defending the hope. The hope of eternal life, what we're looking forward to, what Christ has promised us. Can I defend them and uphold them? And I think it makes a big difference. If you go throughout the Bible and you study the subject of hope, you'll see that hope is necessary for you to overcome sin, to be able to, uh, uh, to face death, to face the struggles that are in your life. How, how does it, wh- what do you do when someone in your family passes away? Well, you go and you look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and you have Paul preaching. He's saying, here's the hope of eternal life. And this is why we don't mourn like other people mourn, because of our hope. Because of what we believe in. I believe in the miracles. I believe in what Christ did. I can see His example in the Scriptures. And it makes perfect sense. And it makes perfect sense in this world. We live in a universe that must have a cause. It didn't come from nothing. It has a cause. It must be immensely more powerful. We live in a universe that is intelligible. In other words, it can be observed and measured and looked at and perceived. It's intelligible. Therefore, the cause itself must be intelligible. It is a creative cause or whatever cause is there that is creative and intelligible than the creator god he is the best explanation you won't find another explanation and him being that creator in fact the, the whole world has to have a the universe has to have a cause that's beyond the natural laws therefore the cause must be supernatural and when I understand that who my Creator is, that He does things that are supernatural, in fact, I can look at the whole universe and see this is the effect of a great miracle. This is what God did. When I look at those around me, when I look at my family, when I look at my children, when I look at His creation, I see the wonders of the world, and I know these are the effects of God's miraculous working. In fact, the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 1, we should be able to do that to look at creation and believe. So what we've seen this morning is those who recognize the works of God and they recognize them in Jesus Christ, they will listen, they will follow him, and he will give them eternal life. I encourage you this morning, as you read through John and you think about these things a little bit deeper, think about how you'll share them with others. How you can defend your hope. The basis of our faith and our hope and our love Listen to what Jesus says in John 10 as we conclude. John 10, 17 through 18. Jesus says, for this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. This is the gospel. He says this, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. That's the gospel. That's what we imitate. We look at what Christ has done. He says, I will lay down my life and I'll take it up again. And and I've often heard kind of a discussion, what's the greatest miracle, the creation of the whole universe or the fact that Christ rose from the dead and that we will rise on the last day. But I look at this and I stand in awe. This is where my faith and my hope is. This is what we should be sharing with others, that Christ came to lay down his life and to rise up again. And I believe in that great work and I believe in Christ and I believe in him. If I believe in Christ and I believe in his words, and I'm going to follow him and trust in him, I'm going to believe in him when he says he's given all truth in his words by his Holy Spirit to his apostles and prophets, I'm going to follow the Bible. This morning, I encourage you. If you haven't obeyed the gospel, if you haven't imitated Christ and dying to your old self and being buried with Christ in baptism and rising up in the newness of life, do that. Jesus taught in John 3 and verse 5 that for you to enter the kingdom of God, you must be born of the water And the Spirit, have you been changed? Have you been transformed? It happens through baptism. It happens when you die to your old self. You're buried in water, and you rise up in the newness of life. It is God that does the work in that. He does the work. This morning, you need encouragement and prayers. You need to obey the gospel. We encourage you to come right now while we stand, while we sing.